Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gut of the prison of the grave. It could have been perfect. Snowbound in a mountain lodge with a girl who was falling in love. But also present were a widow sick with rage, a bitter old woman, and a jealous man. All with reason to hate me more than anyone else in the world. It happened like this. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Grim Echo. Pretty thick. Yeah. You're lucky you caught me, son. Yeah? We're just closing up. What do you have? Yeah, better fill it with a regular, huh? Okay. Does that mean that you're aiming to go on? That's right. Got to get back to L.A. I wouldn't advise it, son. Old Jacker and sure wouldn't. Liable to hit ten below, they say. Yeah. Where you been, skiing? Yeah, a week of it up at Angel's Roost. How's the road ahead? Well, you got 40 miles or nothing but mountains to the next town, you know. You're bound to get drifted over any time. Hey, why don't you blow that thing? Eh? Hey, what's the tariff? Oh, call it three bucks even. You know, I've been running this mobile gas station here 20 years, and I know these storms are nasty. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah, I'll be all right. Yeah, that's what you all say. Out on the road, you could freeze to death. Real easy. And this plaid shirt I'm wearing, you're ripping me, Pop. Uh, listen, that shirt won't even start to keep you warm on a deserted highway in this blizzard. Take it from old Jacker and son, I know. Yeah, well, thanks anyway. So long, old Jacker. a solid nerve-wracking hour to make 12 miles. And I began to realize just how right old Jack Ernst, the gas station boy, had been when the road ahead was lost completely in a constant racing blur of white. Transformed every rise into a treacherous barrier I had to batter my way through. The chains on all four wheels chewing at the drifts, I managed to keep on the road somehow and plow out another five miles. And then... I caught a glimpse of the first lighted window I'd seen in all that distance just as I started down the backside of a short, steep hill. Then it happened. First, the helpless feeling of a skid. Before I could do anything about it, I was off the road in the ditch, nose first and hood deep, in a culvert drifted full of snow. I forced the door open and floundered back up to the road. I knew there was no chance of getting the car out without help and lots of it. And the ten below zero that the weather bureau had bragged about was setting in. I looked back through the slashing snow for the lighted window I'd spotted and 
saw a lantern swinging crazily in the hands of somebody coming toward me. A minute later, I could see it was a girl. Hello? Hello, are you hurt? No, I'm okay. Huh? My car's stuck. I skidded off the road. Yes, I know. I watched it. Oh, my. No chance of getting it out of there tonight. No. That's bad. Maybe tomorrow, if the blizzard lets up, we can get you out. Meantime, you better come on up to the lodge, mister. Lodge? Uh-huh. Mean I slid off the road right in front of a tourist lodge? Uh, oh, boy, how can I be that lucky? Yeah, well, maybe it's fate. We're not open for business in the winter, but on a night like I this... I know what you mean, believe me. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Could get tough staying out here. Oh, by the way, my name's Marlowe, Philip Marlowe. I want to pay what? you for... Did you say Philip Marlowe? Yeah, something wrong with What's me? your business, Mr. Marlowe? Oh, well, I'm a private detective from L.A. I've been skiing. I don't care where you've been or where you're going. You'll get no help from me, Mr. Philip Marlowe, you understand? I'd rather give shelter to a dirty dog. I hope you freeze, do you hear? I hope you freeze to death. She was a thin girl with black hollow eyes, full of hate for me. She didn't stop or look back all the way to the door, just ran in and slammed it shut. Couldn't understand it. Even on my worst day, my reputation never was that bad. I didn't wait around to worry about it because I was cold. Besides, I wanted to know why the good name Philip Marlowe was such poison at a place I'd never heard of before. I waded up to the heavy, rustic door and looked in through a tiny window. All I could see was one corner of what had to be a big room. It was log, leather, and Navajo rugs, dominated by an enormous fireplace that filled every nook with a warm, dancing glow. <laughs> poison or no, I wanted in. Bad night to travel. <laughs> sure did. Oh, well, uh, won't you come in? Oh, sure, sure. I, uh, I'm Donna. How are you? This is Echo Lodge. Uh, We're not open now, but, oh, of course, you can't go on in the storm. No, I can't. Besides, my car's in a ditch. Well, uh, you'll be spending the night then. I'd love to, but there seems to be two schools of thought on that subject. Well, what do you mean? Well, I don't know why, but, you know, I don't think I'm very welcome. Why do you say that? Well, I... I'll uh... tell you why, Donna. Well, Helen. Oh, dear, what's wrong? You've been crying. Do you know who he is? No, we haven't gotten around to the magic of my name yet, Helen, but maybe you'll be good Our enough to tell me. Our name is Baraki. Does that mean anything to you? Baraki? Oh, Helen, yes, yes. Baraki. Virgil Baraki was my husband. Virgil Baraki was Donna's brother. And Virgil Baraki was the man that you shot down and killed. Do you remember? I remember it all right. Six months ago, a trail that led up a blind Los Angeles alley to a garage where stolen cars were switched. I remembered the pair of vicious blue eyes glaring at me over the sights of a blazing 45. I remembered shooting back fast. When it was over, I was alive and he was dying. And later, the coroner's jury decided I'd killed in self-defense. The savagery here in the eyes of the woman who had been Virgil Barucki's wife said that that decision meant nothing. Yes, is this true? Are you the one who... Yeah, yeah, it's true. I shot a man named Virgil Barucki. I had to or be killed by him. There was no choice. You liar. You killed him in cold blood. Now, get out of here. You've done enough to us. Get out. Helen, stop it. Oh, Mama. Mama Barucki, listen, Mama. This is the man who killed Virgil. I know. I've been listening and I heard everything. Go find Ralph for me, Helen. Then you'd better go off your workshop for a while. Didn't you hear me? I said this I is the man... I said who... go call Ralph now. 
At once. Tell him to open the cabin. Then go back to your carving. Can't turn a man out in this weather, not any man. You'll stay, Mr. Marlowe. Thank you, Mrs. Baraki. Donna, go get some hot food. All right, Mom. So, you're Philip Marlowe, the private detective. You don't look much like I'd imagined you. Do people ever? Perhaps not. Oh, um, would you mind fixing the fire? Needs another log. Oh, not at all. You, uh, were stopped by the storm, Mr. Marlowe? Yeah. My car skidded into the ditch about 50 yards down the road. I see. Almost at our doorstep, you might say. Rare coincidence, isn't it? Almost too rare, Mrs. Baraki. I, uh, I'm sorry the circumstances are painful for you. I've grown used to that kind of pain, having lost both a husband and a son. Fate up to now has never been very generous. Do you believe in fate? Mr. Marlowe? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, some things happen for which there's no explanation, no maybe, explanation? but... No explanation? Who knows? Perhaps everything happens according to a prearranged schedule. And for a purpose. Oh, come on. You don't really think I was deliberately shoved off the road at exactly this spot for a reason? Oh, you might admit it's strange, though, that there was a house nearby just when you needed one. And that it was our house. Oh, thank you, Donna. Oh, it's only soup, but it's hot and good, and it's fresh bread. <laughs> the coffee will be ready in a few minutes. Go ahead, Mr. Marlowe. Sit down. It'll do you good. Thanks. Looks wonderful. In the meanwhile, I'll check up on Ralph. He should have the cabin ready by now. It's small, but you'll be comfortable. There's a fine big oil heater in it. I haven't worked one for years. You won't have any trouble. Tell me, uh, uh, who is this Ralph? Ralph Tolman, young fellow who lives near here. Uh, Ralph works for us in the summer. And looks after us in the winter. He's staying over tonight because of the storm. He was my son's best friend. Oh, don't let the soup get cold, Mr. Marlowe. The soup was thick and delicious, and the coffee was rich, black, and steaming. Donna sat across the table and watched me eat. There was no hatred in her eyes. I looked for it closely wasn't even animosity. Only confusion and, for some reason, a shadow of fear. But as an hour slipped by and the conversation came easier, the shadow disappeared. Her eyes even began to smile a little. When I'd finished down to the third cup of coffee and started to help her clear the table, the cup slipped. We both grabbed for it, caught one slim inch from breaking, and wound up together on the floor. Our faces close. Why, Phil, we did it. What a team. A table waiters are jugglers. Oh, we could double us <laughs> both and make a fortune. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Ralph. Yeah, Ralph. What's going on? Uh, we have almost dropped a cup. Uh-huh. That sure would have been too bad, wouldn't it, Dennis? You only got about 50 like that one. I, uh, I don't know why it's so important to you, but for what it's worth, I was the one who dropped it. It's not important to me. I guess other things aren't so important to Donna either. Think you can get it out to the kitchen now without any more help, Donna? Ralph, it's high time that you... Mrs. Barucki asked me to tell you the cabin's ready, Marlowe. Thanks. No thanks necessary, mister. It's just part of my job. Guess everybody's job has its lousy side, huh? Even a private detective. Some of them get trigger happy, I heard. I'll see you, Donna. You better get out there right away, Marlowe. 
Donna's got four whole dishes to carry out. And at the rate she's been going, she ought to get started or she'll never make it. Keep your fat trap shut, Buster. You're causing a draft. Tolman walked behind me as far as the door and pointed through the snow to a tiny square of light sitting apart from the rest of the buildings that made up Echo Lodge. As soon as I was outside, he slammed the door against my back and bolted it. I stood on the porch and thought about the setup for a minute while I lit a cigarette. And I stepped out through the snow and headed for the cabin. Halfway there, I could see it clearly. It looked snug and warm. And under the circumstances, I knew it was better for everybody that I was sleeping outside the main lodge. But then I saw a sudden flash and felt the impact before anything else. Right in front of me, the cabin lurched. One entire wall burst out and the roof collapsed. A second later, as I ran toward what was left of it, I could hear the others coming. Yeah, yeah, I'm okay, Donna. What happened, Marlo? I don't know, Tolman. I can't understand it. Yeah, yeah, Helen, that's the way it looks. But it was working okay when I left. I guess it's not going to burn, though. The snow's put it all out. Well, just another few seconds, and you'd have been in there. You'd have been killed. Yeah, maybe that was fate, too, huh? Maybe. Donna, get away from here. No, Helen. I wish you had been in there, Marlo. You deserve it. Stop it, Helen. He's got no business here. Stop it. Oh, let me alone. Good Lord, after what he's done to us, how can you bear even to look at it? Oh, Helen, come back here. Never go. This was an accident, Donna. An accident, you hear? They happened... Don't say, Mr. Marlowe. Oh, sure, sure. Everybody knows accidents will happen, Mrs. Barucki. Of course, but... Oh, then let's get back into the house before we freeze to death. You can have my room now. I'll sleep with Donna. Come along, all of In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, Groucho Marx, his famous ad-libs, and his teams of opposites will be back betting their lives on most of these same CBS stations tomorrow night. You've missed half your life if you haven't bet your life with Groucho Marx on Wednesday nights this season. Hear him on this top quiz show tomorrow night on CBS. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Grim Echo. It was a dreary little procession that trudged back toward the lodge again from the shuttered cabin. I said nothing and pushed hard against the storm as far as the front door. But when they were all inside, I ducked back into the biting blizzard and ran down to my car in the 38 I kept in the glove compartment there. I figured it would be a warning comfort through the long, cold night ahead. Until I saw that somebody else had figured the same way. The lock on the glove compartment had been sprung and the gun was gone. Now there was no doubt about the explosion. It had been no less accidental than Lucretia Borgia working over an after-dinner drink. As I hurried back to the lodge, I suddenly felt a kind of inside cold which you can't have a blame on the weather around you. But a moment later, that same cold began to thaw. Because huddled at the edge of the lodge steps ahead was Donna. Phil, where have you been? What have you been doing? Hey, everything's going to be all right. Oh, Phil, please. Why did you go down to your car? Well, I'll tell you, but you're going to be sorry. Sorry? <laughs> but you got so upset over nothing. 
I went to get some cigarettes out of the glove compartment. I was fresh out. That, that was your only reason? Cigarettes? Sure, sure. Now, come on, huh? You got to worry. Let's do it where we can both be warm. <laughs> come on over to the fire. I'm a city boy, you know. This cold isn't doing me any... Hey. Hey, Donna. Those tears in your eyes. There. They're from the wind. It, it always makes me cry. Huh? Oh, Phil. Why do things have to be this way? An hour ago, when you were eating, everything was so nice, so friendly. And then suddenly, Ralph angry, the explosion, Helen screaming and clawing at your mama. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know what you mean. <laughs> but look, look, baby, listen to me hard, huh? Yes? You see, the things you just spoke of, Ralph, the explosion, Helen, all of it, all the trouble, it belongs to tonight, like the blizzard out there. Oh, it's raging now, sure, but tomorrow, or maybe a little after tomorrow, it'll stop. Everything will look bright and clean to you. Honest, honey, that's the way it'll be. All the way around. Believe me? Oh, Phil, I... I want to, but... But what? But you're talking about tomorrow. I'm worried about tonight. I'm afraid, Phil. Awfully afraid. <laughs> I spent the next ten minutes trying to convince Donna that there wasn't anything to worry about. And then when she'd gone to her room, I went to mine and started all over again, trying to convince myself. The out-of-season fireworks at the cabin and a gun stolen from my car made that a very tough proposition. And I checked the room, which was on the ground floor and close to the kitchen. And then I bolted the door and looked forward to some much-needed sleep. After that, I took off my shirt and shoes only, got into bed, and waited for sleep, which a weekend of skiing made more important than a cabin full of hate. Suddenly, I was wide awake and sitting straight up in bed. The footsteps could have belonged to my dream. The door that closed couldn't have. I scrambled out of bed and ran to it, but it was still bolted. So I turned to the single closet in the room and opened it sharply. It was empty, except for a long, thin finger of light that streamed through a keyhole keyhole that belonged to a door at the rear of the closet that gave out onto the kitchen. Obviously, the closet had once been a pantry. I tried the door, but it was bolted from the kitchen side. I got into my shoes, grabbed my shirt, and ran out of the room around to the kitchen and smack into a very surprised Ralph. Palmer. Marlo, what are you doing up and rowing around? I'm a sleepwalker. What's your excuse? Come on, let's have it. I'm through playing target for tonight. Talk! Talk, me, Marlo. When I know why you're here and exactly what's on your mind, I will not before. Well, have we come to terms? All right, all right, let go. I'm here because my room is on the ground floor and I heard somebody cross through the house and come into this kitchen. So I decided to investigate. You're a liar. You're in my room, Tolman, and you know it. You got in through the door that leads into the closet. Come on, Buster, let's level. We're keeping each other awake. Listen, Marlowe, I don't like you. Honest? And I don't like the way you and Donna are... The way we're what? Come on, boy, get it off your chest. Never mind that now. Look at this. Wood shaving, so what? Yeah, found it near the door to the closet in your room. Might also be the answer to who your visitor was. She left her calling card. What do you mean, calling card? Helen. She's always covered with these shavings. She makes things out of rough pine. Where is this workshop of hers, Tolman? Out in the back. Just beyond the barn. What are you going to do, Marlowe? Not that it's any of your business, but I'm going to see the lady. And I'll see you. What do you want? 
conversation, Helen, if you don't mind. Oh, wait a minute, you it's late. Close that door. I will not. And I will. Now get up there and sit down. We got a few things to clear up. Like what? Where you murdered my husband, perhaps? Cut it out. Stop it, Helen, or I'll push your arm off. Just as soon as you decide to behave. Those nails of yours draw blood, baby. What are they gonna be good? Yes. All right. Now sit down over there, away from those sharp chisels you work with, and keep your hands in your lap. Go on, that chair there. Very well, Mr. Marlowe. Anything to accommodate the man who murdered my husband. Which brings us right to the point. You deny it. You deny that you shot him down. I fired in self-defense. Speaking lie. You did it to feather your own nest to be a hero to the police and the newspapers. You're wrong, Helen. I killed your husband because I had to. He was on the wrong side. Oh, don't make me laugh. You call trying to get money for his family, for me? You call that being on the wrong side? So much that he should have been killed, shot down by the likes of you? Oh, Mr. Marlowe, you have no idea how through these past six lonely months I've thought of you. I've wondered what you looked like, what the man who killed Virgil was doing. How you'd like to meet the same death you brought to my husband under the brave banner of law and order. Now, wait a minute, and listen. don't think I didn't plan your death a thousand times over. Don't think I didn't approach Mama Barucki, Ralph, even sweet little Donna with a delicious thought of revenge. No. No, they talk like you talk, Mr. Marlowe. Virgil was doing the wrong thing. He was caught. It wasn't right or wrong. It was him or me. Oh, you shut up and listen. Sure. Sure, Virgil was stealing, all right. He was stealing from me, his wife. That's why he left here. That's why he tried so hard. That's why you had no reason to kill him. And that's why you should die, too. Oh, that's also why we had an accidental explosion at the cabin I was supposed to sleep in, huh? I was clumsy. I was hasty. I won't be the next time. You're completely out of your mind, Helen. Out of my mind? Of course I am. Did you think this existence, this living without the man I love, could leave me otherwise? Did you think making these stupid souvenirs could take his place? Killing me isn't going to bring him back. You get out of here. Go on, get out. And if you can, Mr. Marlowe, go back to bed. While you wait for a chance to get me with my own gun, the gun you stole from my car? I'm not going to shoot you, Mr. Marlowe. That would only further disgrace the Baraki name, no. No, I'm not going to shoot you. But I am going to get you. For a long, chilling moment, I stared into the eyes of a half-crazed woman standing in front of me. The ice-cold, bottomless eyes that a cancerous hate had destroyed as something human. And as I turned and started out of the room, I knew that I'd made a mistake that night. And Virgil Barucki had died in my arms. A mistake I had to correct before it was too late. And there was nothing left of Helen but the ruthless machinery of a mind dedicated to murder. I headed back to the house and talked to Mama Barucki, which I figured had to be the first immediate step. When I'd gone only a dozen yards from the workshop, I stopped. Oh, Bill. Bill, I'm over here. Donna, what are you doing out here? I couldn't sleep, Bill. I, I was too worried about you. And then when I saw you leave the house from my window and head for the workshop, <laughs> I... Bill, feel your face. Oh, it was Helen. She, uh, she got a little upset in there. A little? I would look at you. Your pocket ripped off your shirt, mm -hmm. your face scratched. Oh, it's all right, Donna. I... No. Hey. Hey, my pocket ripped off. The gun. Oh, Bill, Tell me, please. I now, hold it, Donna. Give me a second. Yeah, yeah, sure. It adds, all right. Now, look, get over there inside the barn and scream. Long and loud, huh? Scream? Yeah, yeah. It's our only chance. Go on, do as I say, Donna. Scream. All right. I'll do it, Bill. Whatever you say. <laughs> 
second Donna cut loose, I stepped out of sight behind a tree that was opposite the barn, and I kept my eyes glued to the door of the workshop I just left. I waited for the shattering report of the gun I was afraid I'd hear. But then the door flew open, and Helen was running out toward the barn, and Donna screamed. <coughs> my thirty-eight clenched in a handkerchief in her right hand, a look of stark bewilderment stamped over her face. Donna, answer me! What's wrong? Donna, what are you doing there by the barn? You mean you don't know? Leave it to me, Helen. Let's have that gun back without further discussion. Yes. There. Now get back against that wall and don't move an inch. No. No. Bill, what is all this? Attempted murder, honey. She's all right. Attempted murder? You mean Helen here was going to try and kill someone? Yeah, herself. Or suicide? Uh huh. Suicide. That would be called murder and pinned on me. It's going to be her way of getting even. I know, Bill. I, I can't believe it. She tried to once, honey, the explosion at the cabin. When that failed and everybody knew how she felt about me, a warped mind hit upon this little plan, and all the pieces would have fit tight, too. What pieces? What do you mean? That one we argued. Two, she came to my room tonight and ripped the pocket off this plaid shirt so that we'd find it clenched in her hand after she was dead. You see it? Oh. Three, she stole my thirty-eight, which has my fingerprints on it. And four, she left an obvious clue on the floor of the kitchen, a wood shaving that would bring me out here on the run. So everybody could find me close by when it happened. Oh. oh, yeah, it was tight, all right. Tight as a hangman's noose. And then she was going to shoot herself, Phil, just after you left her. And that, that's why you made me scream? Yeah, and that's why now, Donna, later tonight, I'm going to tell her something that I intended to break to her gently. Oh. Something I was going to tell Mama Barucki first. You... Something I hoped would straighten her out. What, Phil? Well, your brother Virgil didn't die the moment he was shot, Donna. He, oh. he lived long enough to ask one thing of me. What are, what are you trying to say, Phil? That I never let Helen or you people here know about the woman he was in love with in L.A. Hey. The woman through whom I tracked him down. Oh, Phil. Yeah. Phil. Well, I... I guess it... It wouldn't be good for her if... I was around too much? No, honey, not for a while, anyway. It wouldn't be good for any of us, huh? Come on, Donna, let's get her into the house. Yes. Yes, Phil. <laughs> well, it was the next morning. I went into the kitchen for some coffee and found myself all alone. Thought I wasn't any place in sight. So I got my things together and walked slowly down to my car, and when I got in, I didn't feel like leaving. Not right away. And I was glad that warming up my motor was the smart thing to do. Gave me time to light a cigarette and think, look around, back toward Echo Lodge where... <laughs> I could see Donna waving goodbye from an upstairs window. I'd see her again in a little while. It was a small world, all right. Full of echoes. And just think how the web of paths we call coincidence had brought me and those who knew and loved Virgil together. Someday, maybe, Donna and I would be looking for each other. And those paths would make it a lot easier.
Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Sammy Hill, Betty Lou Gerson, Verna Felton, Frank Gerstle, and Junius Matthews. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time a peddler of pulp paper love, a blackmailer with muscles, a south-of-the-border chiseler, a simpering prude, and a corpse in a bedroom, all had one thing in common. Each was a woman. Jolson will pay another of those wonderful visits to Bing Crosby this Wednesday night. And the gags and songs will again fly thick and fast. Bing and Al will team up to sing Waiting for the Robert E. Lee and Whispering. And as for the gags, well, just tune in on most of these same CBS stations. Remember, that's this Wednesday night, the CBS Bing Crosby Show. This is Roy Rowan speaking. Now, stay tuned for Pursuit, which follows immediately on most of these same CBS network stations. This is CBS, where you bet your life with Groucho Marx every Wednesday, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road. And those who travel it wind up in the gutter, the prison of the grave. This time a peddler of pulp paper love, a blackmailer with muscles, a south-of-the-border chiseler, a simpering prude, and a corpse in a bedroom. All had one thing in common. Each was a woman. It happened like this. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Ladies' Night. The sauce is boiling furiously, which is right now. Add one full cup of tomato paste gradually and stir vigorously. Okay. One full cup of tomato paste. Oh, no. No, not now. I'll be a minute. I said I'll be... Oh, oh no. Ooh. Ow. All right. So I add tomato paste, cup and all. Okay. Okay, I'm coming. Who is it? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to buy you. Kay Vanneman. Yes, darling, staunch friend Kay. Am I welcome? Me and my small Western Union joke? Oh, sure, sure. Come on in. Come on in, honey. We'll go in the kitchen. Oh, it's not Marlowe playing chef again. What is it this time? Well, sauce a la Marino. Hmm? Mm. 
What's on your poor little rich girl's 14-carat mind tonight? You. It's Tuesday. Tuesday? Yes. This is meeting night in my crowd. The Greens Committee at the Country Club, the Beverly Hills Male Choir, the veterans of this and that. Mm. So, no men left. Oh. Except staunch friend Marlowe, huh? Look, uh, Kay, baby, just because I... Uh... Da, 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 I know it by huh? heart, Phil. Just because brave private detective once saved rich Uncle Enoch's niece, Kay, baby, from lots of trouble. For which he was well paid. There's no reason why they've got to go on seeing each other. Well, mister, you're wrong. There is a reason, a big, fat one. I like you. Lots. You do? Especially on Tuesdays. I can't tell you how happy <laughs> that makes me. Now, I'm look... I'm not being too bold, am I? I did call, you know, three times. You weren't home all day. That didn't discourage you. Ah. If I can't have you, I'll take the doorstep. Tuesdays. <laughs> On Tuesdays. <clears throat> now, uh, about this sauce a la whatchamacallit, what do we do first? Fish out the cup or wait for it to melt? Well, it all depends. If we want to, uh... Hey, hey that thing's sticking out of your pocket. Real telegram or prop for gag? Oh, no, no prop, real thing. Oh? I met the boy in front of your door. Here. Open it up, will you? My hands are greasy. So I noticed. Over there, self-reliant. It's called soap and water. Oh. Mm. Well, read it, dear. Straight-like, huh? Okay, straight-like. Yeah. Tried to reach you all day. Very important. Uh-huh. We get the tulip room. Sunset strip at 8 tonight. We'll pay tulip you room. triple your fee. Time means everything. Gigi Ormsby. You know her? Give me the towel, will you? Yeah, I think... Sure, she's the demon editor for Passman House. Who published what? Magazines, torrid love, great passions. You know, the shop girl's encyclopedia. Uh-huh. Well, now tell me, shop girl, where'd you meet editor Gigi Ormsby? At a cocktail party about a year ago. She's quite a character. Sleek to look at. And listen to him? Oh, someplace between a career woman and a marine sergeant. Credit good? Mm, excellent. Mm. Uncle Enoch once shook hands with her, and that's better than Dunn and Brad. <laughs> hey, where are you going? The Don jacket and professional demeanor. Both are going to the tulip room. Oh, Phil, can but I... you're not. Phil, that's not fair. This is too And Tuesday. the sauce a la Marino needs one measuring cup removed. <laughs> that delicate woman's touch from here on in. Bye-bye, Kay. You're a staunch friend indeed. Tulip Room was one of those extra chic spots, you know, curled up at the foot of the Hollywood Hills, where the velvet and the maitre d's tone of voice made you sure you had egg on your vest. But that plus the crew-cut glamour girls who lined the boots and shrill darling, no matter what was said, made finding my prospective client that much easier. In severely tailored banker's gray flannel, she stood out among the neighboring naked shoulders like a wart on a cue ball, as did her voice which once it had gone through the introductions, came right to the point. Marlo, my problem is simple. I want to find a woman in a hurry. Her name is Henrietta Lawrence. She's a good hack writer who disappeared. I know not why. Health? Likewise. Now, here it is. One, two, three. A couple of weeks ago, Henrietta Lawrence showed up in my office from someplace like Seattle or Portland, I forget which, and handed me an outline for a three-installment serial story that was excellent, according to our standards. Mm. Three days ago, she brought in the first two installments, also excellent. But the day before yesterday, when the third installment was due, I was sitting in my office window when this happened. She only got as far as the front door. What happened? I don't know. She saw somebody going by slowly in a car. Scared the daylights out of her, and she hobbled for a cab. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Did you say hobble? Yes, she limps. Uses a cane. Mm -hmm. Anyway, she piled into this cab and took off. Haven't had a word from her since. I'm worried, Marlo. She's a nervous thing, the kind who'd go to pieces. Little ones fast. 
So I want you. She owns me. Oh, as I live in Davisdale, Nyclovid, darling, how are you? Ah, busy, Jeanette, busy. So I see. And what's the handsome gentleman's name who am I supposed to get? It's Dracula, darling. We're uh, counting the white throats. Goodbye. Oh, Gigi, you're priceless. Goodbye, Jeanette. This is business strictly. Well, I was only being friendly. Excuse me, darling. Happy business. Oh, what they let loose after dark. <laughs> Anyhow, Marlowe, I want you to find this girl. She may be in an awful jam. Now, what do you want to know? Well, description might help, Gigi. Okay. Henrietta's about 35 on the drab side. No makeup, no jewelry. Each time I saw her, she was wearing the same thing. A plain brown coat, a plainer brown hat, low heels. All in all, the sex appeal of a tumbleweed. Mm-hmm. Last address you had on her? It's the only one. The Brace Hotel for Women, room 7. Mm. It's over on Fountain near La Sienica. But she hasn't checked back there in two days either. That giggling flower of the old South desk clerk I talked to on the phone today hasn't the slightest idea where she is. <laughs> but I figure for you, she might, Marlo. She's probably got a face like wet hemp. Her name is Clarice. Well, we'll try it. Where can I reach you, Gigi? At my home in Brentwood. Sunnyside 91011. 1011? Yeah, I'll stay next to the phone. Mm. Really do your best, will you, Marlo? Okay, Gigi. It'll be my best, all right. Don't worry about it. I'll call you. One moment, please. Go ahead. Oh, hello. Can I... Can I help you? Are we alone? Is the switchboard closed? Why, oh, yes. Good. You see, I'm a private detective named Marlowe, Clarice. A private detective? And you know my name. Oh, we find things out. Oh, how can poor little old me help you? Well, it's about Henrietta Lawrence, the girl with the cane. Mm-hmm. She's in trouble, and uh, I think it's a man. So do I. Who? Well, I don't know. You sure? Positive. She was always so quiet, so mysterious. It was enough to make a body curious. Oh. So one night I followed her. She went to Annie Stringer's Hollywood Health Club. Uh, that's a ladies' Turkish bath over on Santa Monica Boulevard in Doheny. Mm. Well, maybe she ducked in there because she knew you were following her. Oh, huh? no, I was very careful. Besides, she had something to say to a woman there. Uh, I know I saw him talking in the doorway when I went by. Couldn't see who it was, though. No man, huh? No. <laughs> but I keep my eyes open when she comes back. Oh, you do <laughs> just that. <laughs> keep them wide open, Clarice. They're lovely eyes. Oh. <laughs> Good night, honey. <laughs> client was wrong. Clarice did not have a face like wet hemp. It was more like a batch of biscuits, but the body curious had provided a lead. As far as the corner of Santa Monica and Doheny, and into the white antiseptic-looking reception room of Annie Stringer's Hollywood Health Club, women only. There I forgot about Clarice, hemp, and biscuits alike, and thought instead about something a whole lot tastier, like the girl who was leaning on the corner of a desk marked information while she made pencil marks on a chart. She looked up when I closed the door and started toward me. But when another door in the room opened and a woman who was built like a sack of cement bore down on me, she turned back to her chart. Yes, sir. I help you. I'm Annie Stringer. We don't have a men's section here, if that's what you wanted. No, it was something else, Miss Stringer. 
Annie'll do. Oh. Name's my stock and trade. <laughs> Something else like what? Henrietta Lawrence. I'm looking for her. Who are you, mister? What's your name? Philip Marlowe. I'm a friend of Henrietta's from Portland. They told me over at the Brace Hotel that Henrietta might be at your place. You see, someone had seen her come in here once. Mm, Henrietta Lawrence, huh? Mm -hmm. Well, name doesn't mean anything to me, but... Honey, Mrs. Gordon wants you to come be for a while. All right, Hilda, be right there. I, uh, don't recall anyone by that name, Mr. Marlowe, but you might check with my receptionist there. Uh, Take care of the gentleman, will you, Mona, dear? Very well, Annie. I'm coming, Mrs. Gordon. I'm... I'm sorry, Mr... Marlowe, Mona, dear. Philip Marlowe. Marlowe. Well, I don't recall any Henrietta Lawrence ever having been with us, but uh, why don't we check the registration cards at my desk and be sure? I might be mistaken. All right. She's a woman about 35. She wears no makeup and... Never mind. I know her, amigo. What? Just listen. You see, Mr. Marlowe, the cards here list everyone who ever visits the club. Mm. Why do you really want Henrietta Lawrence? Well, I'm a private detective with interested clients. Who has money, amigo? It could be. What's your connection here? Receptionist. Ah. And good friend to Annie. Her um, confident, you might say. All right, say it. Meet me in the alley behind the hardware store across the street in a half hour. We close then. Well, I- I'm sorry, Mr. Marlowe, but we don't seem to have any listing of a Henrietta Lawrence. But perhaps in the... No, future... never mind. Thanks just the same. Well, you're quite welcome. Don't keep me waiting, amigo. I killed most of the 30-minute wait at an all-night beanery a block away where I drank bad coffee and listened to a special monologue from a waitress, which was worse. And at exactly 10.30, I stepped into the street and walked to the alley behind the hardware store. Moved cautiously toward the dark shadow of the building until a hand that gripped like a bear trap snapped shut on my upper arm. While another locked my wrist high into my back. Oh, one inch, Mr. Marlowe, and I'll oh. break it off and hand it to you. I was a lady wrestler, oh. understand? Oh, do I still call you Annie? Uh, never mind the wisecracks. Oh. It's been a long day and I haven't got patience. Now, what's your angle, Flatfoot? Oh. Slip, baby, in more ways than one. Start talking. All right, all right. Henrietta came from Seattle, not Portland. So now some advice. Forget Henrietta Lawrence, Shamus. You can't do her any good. You're a liar, Annie, and you know it. Wasting your breath, Shamus. That's bluff, Annie. Hot air. Yeah? I suppose that goes for the letter, too, I suppose. Letter? You slipped again, kid. What about it? You don't know what letter I'm talking about. But Mr. Marlowe, Henrietta Lawrence does. So tell her to call off the bloodhound, or that letter will go right to the cops. They'll know exactly what to do with it. Get going, sweetie. Oh, okay. Blow the top of your head off, go on, feed it while you can still walk. Go. All right. But I'll be around, Marlo. So don't forget the message I gave you for Miss Lawrence. In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first... The kindly physician of River's End, Dr. Christian, will meet the spirit of George Washington in a most unusual way this Wednesday night when Dr. Christian tells his story on most of these same CBS stations. An elderly patient who claims to have a personal message from George Washington comes to Dr. Christian's office and presents him with one of his most perplexing cases. Dr. Christian, starring Gene Hersholt, is a regular Wednesday night feature. 
Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Ladies' Night. watched Annie's stringer lumber out of sight down the alley. And she turned, tossed me, and I told you so, smile, and lit a cigarette for me. Here. Well, I guess it's a good thing I chucked that scullery maid routine and followed you after all, wasn't it? Look, I've already said thanks, so go ahead. Get real corny. Rub it in. Marlowe pinned by a woman. <laughs> that was no woman, Phil. It was the late gargantuous cousin. Yeah, I was also outnumbered and surrounded. By the way, where's your gun, Kay? I don't have any gun. Just what? a lot of bluff. And curiosity about what you were doing out here in the alley with a creature like that. I was taking a judo lesson. By correspondence, maybe? <laughs> what was all that about a letter? Well, for my money, the way things stack up, G.G. Ormsby's top writer, one Henrietta Lawrence, is being blackmailed by Annie Stringer, and that letter is Annie's protection. Goes to the cops if anything. Take it outside quick. What? What's the matter? Marlowe, not another yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, my date, Tuck. Will you go on? It's important. All right, but don't forget you're a sucker for a hammerlock, so watch it. Senor Marlowe? Over here, Mona. Oh, see. Here I am. Are, are we alone? Yeah, yeah, we're alone. Good. It is worth my life what I'm going to tell you. And we like me alive, no? Look, what is it, Mona? You know something about Henrietta Lawrence? See, more than enough. There's a certain letter. Oh, you know about that, huh? Sure. I know where it is and what it says. Bless you, baby. Where is it? I want that letter bad. It's nice. Nice? See, and I would love to give it to you for nothing, but... But what? But my poor mother, she needs an operation. My father, the mortgage on the ranch. Your little sister wants music lessons. Uh, come on, kid, how much? How much is the life of Henrietta Lawrence worth, Phil, dear? To me, to you, to Henrietta Lawrence. Her life, huh? I'll see what I can do. You better do real good, amigo. It's a very serious thing. I take a great risk. Annie Stringer is stupid, but she's also strong like a bull. You come to my apartment, 8310 North Ardmore, number D. One hour. D, huh? Okay, I'll be there. Good. And please, amigo, you don't hold hard feelings against me. Not for this. You know, business is business. Place is place, you know? Maybe we can mix them in an hour. I'll be waiting for you, Phil. How do you like that? It was as touching a little scene as I've ever witnessed. Skip it, Kay. This deal is liable to get rough before it's over, and I've got a call to make. Let's go. And I was dumb enough to warn you against the hammerlock. The kids, the, the hammerlock that that kid holds is like a pat on the head. Can I go with you just for laughs? Yeah, yeah. We're going to call on my client. You're scramming. Come on. <laughs> Marlo, Gigi, got a line on Henrietta, but you're not going to like it much. What do you mean? How does it go, Marlo? Trouble is, she's got blackmail. I don't know what the hook is, but I have word of one of the bargainers is plenty serious. Who's doing it, Phil? A female mastodon named Annie Stringer's the big wheel. I got onto it through a letter. A letter? Yeah. Annie wrote her protection letter. It's got all the dirt in it and goes to the cops if anything happens to Annie. It's a standard routine. Where is this letter? Who has it? There's a double-crossing little Spanish number named Mona. I'm supposed to meet her again in an hour at her place. Phil, we must get that letter. It's no sense, Gigi. Mona's not bright, but she's sly. It's liable to be expensive. That doesn't matter. Okay. Anything I can do to help you?
help Henrietta, I want to do now more than ever. What does that mean? I've heard from her, Marlo. She called me just a few minutes ago. Where was she? That's the tough part. She was crying. Said it was the end of everything. She tried to tell me about the last installments of the story, then she was interrupted. She gasped out something that sounded like American Airlines ticket office. Then the line went dead. There are three of those offices in town. Yeah. Well, we better check them. Look, can you take the one out in Beverly Hills? I'll get the others. All right. And Marlo, uh, where does this Spanish thing live? North Ardmore, 8310, apartment D. I'll meet you there in an hour. When Gigi hung up, I sent Kay to check the airline office in Hollywood for a woman carrying a cane and a big load of trouble, telling her to call me at the downtown agency within half an hour. Then I headed south for the office on 6th Street. Halfway down, it began to rain. You know, the kind of dismal, misty drizzle that makes your clothes smell like blankets at a fire sale? I spent a fruitless half hour peeking into corners and trading descriptions, and finally, when Kay called in a negative report from the Hollywood office, it was high time to beat it out to my appointment with Mona. The rain had put enough dazzling sheen on the pavement to make the going slow and slick. But I got out to 8310 Ardmore not over a minute late. Apartment B was the last on the right and completely dark. As I walked toward it, I found myself following a set of feminine footprints rapidly filling with water. And besides, each left print was a little round hole. By the time that registered on me, I was already at the door and could hear her crying inside. I didn't wait to knock. Mona! Mona, it's me, Marlo. For Pete's sake, what happened to you? Phil! Phil, that woman was here waiting for me in the dark. She had a big club. When I came in, she grabbed me and beat me with it. Yeah, it was a cane. Not that it makes any difference now. Hey, your apartment's a rest. She got the letter, huh? See, she got it. And look. Look at this open Later, later. Room. Right now I want to know what that letter said. You can forget about me paying the Mexican national debt for it. I want it free and fast. Come on, what's Annie got on Henrietta Lawrence? Right, all right. She, she knows it. What? Somebody's outside there. Oh, it's Gigi. Come on in, Gigi. Hello, Bill. Who's this, the tortilla pounder you told me about? Just a minute, you. You All right, hold it, hold it. Take it easy. Lousy housekeeper, sister. What happened? Your hat dance get out of control? Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Henrietta scooped this Gigi. She was here and got the letter herself. She what? Yes. We were just talking about the letter when you came in. Now, let's get on with it, Mona. What's Big Annie's pitch? Supposing I won't tell you now. Then I'll have you in the pokey for attempted extortion before you can say Pancho Robinson, beautiful. Come on. Well, okay. That's better. Well, you amigo, I tell. I don't know what Henrietta Lawrence means to this, this dragon here, but she's a murderer. Why, you lying little tamale tosser, that's impossible. Henrietta's a fine girl. You know what you're saying, Mona? Sure I do. I read the letter, didn't I? Henrietta Lawrence killed a woman in Seattle four years ago. Annie saw her do it. She had names, dates, places, everything. I can't believe it. I just can't. She's such a swell person. Look. She even left this, the final installment of the story for me in that Wilshire ticket office. Well, we do, Phil. We gotta help her. Okay. Since neither she nor Annie counted on Mona here reading the letter, the best way to help her is to try to keep her from committing another murder. What, are you crazy? What are you talking about? Come on, Gigi, get with it. The letter was worthless, except as Annie Stringer's protection. Yet Henrietta went to all the trouble of getting it. Why? So she could shut Annie up, and there's only one way to do that. Kill her. Holy mackerel, I didn't even think. You should, senora. You got nothing else to work with. Drop it. Stop it, stop it. Both of you. Better stay clear of it from here on, Gigi. Go home and wait for me. Okay, Phil, whatever you say. Call me as soon as you can. Sure, you? sure. All right, come on, Mona, let's go. Me? Yes. Oh, no, amigo. The letter's gone, and so is Mona's interest. 
I'm very tired. Now, listen, you. You cut yourself in on this right at the Asombrero. You know Annie, so you may be able to help me. It's that or spend the night in the cooler. Add it up, sweetheart. Andale. All right. You're so forceful, amigo. Come on, let's go. Well, Annie's not in her apartment. She's not around the health club. What's next, Mona? Where else would she be? Touch me, amigo. Thank, will you? Has she had any appointments lately that didn't fit with her regular routine? Well, she went out on Fountain Avenue in a big hurry a couple of Fountain days. Fountain Avenue? That's where Henrietta's been staying, in a hotel out there. The Brace Hotel? That's it, on the nose. Is Annie dumb enough to go there now tonight? Sure. She's stupid. And her strength makes her reckless. That's it. Let's go. Let's see on the first floor. Hey, there. Now, Mr. there. where do you think you... Oh, it's you again, Mr. Marlowe. Yeah, it's me again, if Clarice. If you're looking I... for that Miss Lodge yeah. in number seven, uh-huh. well, you're sure in luck, Mr. Marlowe. She's in now. She came back about a half hour ago with a friend, the biggest woman I ever saw. Annie, it's true, amigo, you were right. Yeah, come on, let's get back there. Oh, Mr. Marlowe, you can't go back there. You're a man. Hotel is for now, women look, sis, you've got a pass key there, haven't you? Come on, this entire night from start to finish has been for women only. Getting sick and tired of it, present company included. Now, where's number seven? Phil. Phil, this is it right here. Henrietta! Unlock it, Chloe's fast. Get back. and scream, Clarice. Get it over with. Well, where, where's Miss Lawrence? She no doubt left by the window here. Yeah, it's still open. Only five feet to the ground and a clear set of footprints in the wet dirt, cane marks and all, just like... Just like what, Mr. Marlowe? I started to say like the ones I saw earlier. Sure, the last installment of the story, the letter at Mona's, the airline ticket. Now she's out of it slick as a whistle. Clarice, call the cops. Here, give them my card. I'll get in touch. Well, where are you going, Mr. Marlowe? To break the unpleasant news as gently as possible to my client. Phil, what about me? What will I do now? Just keep looking at Annie, a beautiful, chiseling, double-crossing jerk. Oh. Maybe you'll learn something, but I'm not going to count on it. Phil. Gigi had a lot of lights on in a glossy Brentwood house. As I walked up the wet, curving flagstones to a door, I could see her inside, pacing slowly back and forth. An impatient cigarette in one hand, a stiff brace of brandy in the other. Whatever Gigi Ormsby really thought or felt about Henrietta Lawrence then, I couldn't tell. But I was sure that before I left, she was going to despise her. Phil, I've been waiting for you to phone me. I... Something bad, isn't it? I can see it in your face. We found Annie Stringer's body, Gigi, in Henrietta's hotel room. Ah, what a dirty, dirty shame. And Henrietta? Gone. But she won't get far, not this time. The circle gets smaller every time. She can't keep on killing. It's got to stop someplace. Yeah, I suppose so. But I'm sorry for her, Phil. I hope she got a plane ticket tonight and is miles away by morning. I hope she gets a break this time. She didn't buy a ticket. She's not even running. And she won't get that break. You talk as if you know where she is, do you? Mm Mm-hmm. You've been to Seattle, haven't you, Gigi? Of course, but not for years. You lived there. You were a writer before you became a publisher. Why? What is this? 
You knew Annie Stringer long before tonight, too, Gigi, huh? What are you driving at, Marlowe? That your real name is Henrietta Lawrence, that you killed a woman in Seattle once, changed your name and got away, but there was a witness. And a couple of weeks ago, purely by chance, that witness, Annie Stringer, ran into you, recognized you as Henrietta, and grabbed at the chance for blackmail. Stop it, Marlowe. So you had to bring Henrietta Lawrence back to life just long enough to get rid of the witness. But first you had to get a letter she'd written and also have someone who tell a straight story to the cops. So you hired me, planted the right leads along the way. You get away from that desk. I'll try it, Gigi. You can't win, so at least lose gracefully, will you? This was in one of my books. No one would believe it. You're right, I can't win. It's all true, Phil. Where was the loophole? It started only as a hunch. But everything fit. I got it from the cane you used, Gigi, at Mona's place. The cane marks were on the left side of your tracks. But outside the hotel window, they were on the right. Anybody who really has to use a cane couldn't do that. Such a little thing. As a matter of fact, it was. Look, Marlo, you're the only person between me and that break. I got more money than I know what to do with. I can bid high, really high. You wouldn't be for sale, would you? No, baby. Just for hire. Get your coat, Gigi. We're going down to headquarters. Getting the whole business down on police stationery one orderly step at a time is a process as full of, well, as full as the fiscal report of the First National Bank. Took twice as long to whip up. But finally it was all over. I was on my way home to my bachelor apartment. And then I remembered something. Never mind explaining what took you so long, darling. You're here now. Dinner is ready and waiting, and the martinis are ice cold. Just come on in and close the door. Yeah. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Jeanette Nolan, G.B. Hunter, Constance Crowder, Lillian Bayef, Gene Bates, and Michael Ann Barrett. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard O'Runt. <laughs> Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time a friend with millions, a myopic chemist and a long-haired piano player were thrown into a panic because a brilliant young lady with a gun was taking a big step in the wrong direction. <laughs> <laughs>